you didn't expect me to cut my beard off. Correct. Why not? I said, here's the thing. I felt so bad because I said that I would. And so no, we, no, no. when I said, you, if you cut your beard off, I'll cut my beard off. And so I went oh. into the bathroom and I grabbed the, the buzzers and um, I, I couldn't do it. And I called Heather into the bathroom. I said, honey, I, I can't follow through on my word. Can you please help me? And she says, why are you doing this? Well, I, you've told me how much that it bothers you. And, and I oh made this agreement gosh. with Matt. She says, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you, you have my permission to keep it. Now you get Matthew's blessing. And if he says yes, then you keep your beard. <laughs> get Matthew's blessing. Oh, good heavens. So do I have your blessing to keep the beard long? Oy vey. Of course you do. Yay! Oh my gosh. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Bearded Bible Brothers. I am Matt, and my uh, for those of you watching on YouTube, for those of you listening on the podcast, you won't have any idea until I actually tell you what I'm about to say, but those of you watching on YouTube, I think all six of you, um, will immediately notice that my beard is significantly shorter. Mm -hmm. um, I live in Arizona, and it is warm. And so between, honestly, I have two reasons that I... I didn't chop it completely off. I have I have some beard left. So this is how it, I used to always keep it. But between it being warm and it had grown to the length where it was starting to get wavy and I wasn't about to get a straightener for my beard because I'm just not that into maintenance. So I just <laughs> chopped the thing off. But Josiah is here and he, he still has his voluptuous beard that is waving yep. to us. <laughs> How are you today, sir? I am doing well. I'm hot, but I'm doing good too. It's uh, it's cooking up here in, in northern Utah as well. But uh, thankfully, it's a little bit more bearable. Uh, we've got a nice little humidic uh, kind of dome in Cache Valley, Utah, and so it kind of takes the you know the edge off the heat. So nice little breeze. Oh, it's oh, it's wonderful. It's actually quite wonderful. I can I can sit outside and feel cooler than sitting inside. If that with a breeze, I could see that. Yeah. Yeah, and there's but almost there's, usually a breeze. Yeah, but there's a level of humidity that it just becomes oppressive, and you're yes. like, I need gills to live here. <laughs> right. <laughs> a couple of summers ago, Christy and I went. My wife Christy and I went to. Uh, went from Arizona to Florida, Orlando, in June, late June, early July. Ooh, yeah. And everybody was joking with us that we jumped out of the oven and into the dishwasher. And it really felt that way. <laughs> that was an accurate representation of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's one of the reasons why we got out of Kansas. Um, and how I actually found out about... so. He and I are, are twinning today. He, we both got kind of a burgundy shirt. But um, yep. Duluth Trading Company, when I was uh, working at Fort Leavenworth, I was going through three or five shirts a day. And the sweat was just... because they just, would soak through? 
it, they would. The sweat was just so remarkable. And um, so I found Duluth and I it got that whittled down to about one to almost two shirts a day, depending. And um, but that's one of the reasons why we even got out of Kansas. It's like, oh, <laughs> get me on that hot air balloon, wizard. I'm out of here. I didn't realize the Midwest got that humid, although I've spent almost oh. no time in the Midwest. Well, um, it's the um, it's let's see. Was that the Missouri? Or the, no, that's the Mississippi. Oh man, I'm, I don't know why I'm getting these these rivers mixed up. See the Missouri or the <laughs> or the Mississippi River, and so Leavenworth sits right up against Missouri state line, and the oh. river is the boundary. It's the it's the line that cuts the cuts that those states in two. Gotcha. So, gotcha. All so of not that, all of the Midwest is like that, just right on no. the water. Oh yeah. Oh, considerably so. Considerably okay. so. So that makes. But sense. yeah. My sister recently imagining... moved to. Oh, go ahead. What? Well, I was just going to say that my sister moved recently moved to Mississippi, and she says that there's moments where she feels like she had jumped out of the pan into the fire. Uh, she's not a Tolkien fan, but <laughs> it works. But uh, yeah, yeah. It, there's she's ha- she says there has been moments down in Mississippi where she has just cooked and cooked and broiled and then cooked some more <laughs> and broiled. How long has she been there now? Two months? Uh, let's see. She has been there for one month and ten days. Just about exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But I, 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 I enjoy the beard. I've always wanted a beard this length, and uh, I, I have, I have fun with it. I mean, I've always seen. I grew up in a family where my dad was a historian, and we were homeschooled, so. We, we would go on month-long vacations during the year, and we would stop at these places such as Tombstone, Cody, Wyoming, mm-hmm. and Cody Museum, and all of this Western theme. My dad was, oh, my dad really liked Wyatt Earp and his family and Doc Holliday and all that, that era. And so I always saw men with these huge beards and very elegant and long mustaches. Um, I actually yep. met the guy who won. It was a few years ago, but it was that year's champion of longest mustache three feet off each side of his face three feet total not six feet long three each direction six feet long no way i am not kidding it was amazing turn his face sideways to get through a door well, when he does competitions, yeah, or when he does it for special occasions, you're absolutely right. He does. Like when he does it up and waxes it out and stuff. Correct. Oh, yes. my God. But he actually told me um, that on the day I met him, his beard, his his mustache was dripping down, and it looked like it was disappearing into his shirt. And I was like, it, it, that's weird. Do you like, you like it down there? He goes, oh, no, let me show you. So he pulls this pat, uh, this pouch out of his shirt. And so what he does is he tucks the mustache down in this pouch in ringlets. So he'll kind of wind it up as if oh it's string, and he'll stick it in the pouch and then he'll, st- he'll hang around his neck. Does your mustache hang low? Does it wobble to and fro? Can you tie it in a knot? Can you tie it in a bow? <laughs> Can you put it in a pouch and stuff it down your shirt? <laughs> Because if so, then you, sir, are the champion of mustaches. 
I mean, wouldn't that be oh, something to goodness. see on the Lord of the Rings or the Hobbit? <sighs> and wow, my daughter, there's some things you just can't CGI. <laughs> no, no, you can't. But my daughter's recently gotten to doing braiding. She'll sometimes braid my beard. Yes. <laughs> I want I want to see your beard grow out long enough that you get the Viking like double braids off the chin. Like thick oh. ones, not like little tiny ones. Yeah, if, like two thick, enough, big. You, you see that kind of brown strand right there and right here on each side? There have been moments where people have wondered if, if it's kind of split intentionally. So, yes. so every now and then, my daughter will make a comment, and I'll start pulling these two parts apart, and I'll be sitting there, and Curly will go, Mommy, Daddy's looking scary again. <laughs> oh, but it makes you wonder. Um, uh, I know that the antiquity of a we've never really done talked about this. The antiquity of beards and the proper, you know, beard care and all this jazz. We haven't really talked about that to some extent. But um, um oh my god, I think be... we need to sideline everything we had planned for this episode and talk about the antiquity of the beard. Well, oh not my to goodness, be Paul Blart. But we could bring this in as a segue because if there's one person I've often wondered, what did Abraham's beard look like? What would he have used for beard care? Right? I, just, I can honestly say that, wow, there's so many things I could comment right now. But I can honestly say that never once in my studies of scripture have I wondered what Abraham's beard looked like. That's I think it's way cool. to ask the question, way to study the Bible the Jewish way, Josiah. <laughs> Asking the questions that, that we Westerners don't think to ask. <laughs> well, here's another thought that just popped in my head. Now, mind you, so I let's see, Abraham was about he was a hundred years old when Israel Isaac's born. He was yeah. oh, what was he? 90 or so when um, Ishmael was born. He would have been 87. 80, 87, that's was right. 13. He was 13 when Isaac was born. And so, not would he have the beard, and so here are these toddlers <laughs> grabbing the beard and yanking. But you know that when you get older, your eyebrows continue to grow, and they get even bigger, right? And don't forget oh, about the air, ear hair, right? And so I wonder what Isaac, I mean, Isaac and Ishmael and even the other children of Abraham would think when they see daddy. And so they just automatically think, I want to start tugging on daddy's beard. <laughs> I'm also sure that they spoke like that, too. <laughs> Guaranteed. <laughs> Guaranteed. Right? Well, he, Hebrew language with a down, down home, down south drawl. Oh my goodness. We are starting this off well, aren't we? <laughs> I, I agree. We're having a ball with this one. Really, and I think it's cool too because uh, um, Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 21 and 22, they they add a lot to Abraham's history. And they, as we talked about last time, Genesis 22 even, just offers so much richness and vitality to the relationship between Abraham and God, Abraham and his son. And here's the thought I even had after that. Abraham and his wife. 
Mm. What kind of relationship would they have had? Would she have even known? Abraham told her maybe. Could he have told her? And so she's trusting God as well as he walks off with Isaac. Because I have wondered that one. I wonder if he even told her beforehand. Right? Or I wonder if, if the two of them get back to camp and Sarah comes out, it's probably late afternoon. Uh, because it took them three days to get there, but it was only a half day's journey from where they were camped. So theoretically, they made it home on mm-hmm. late on day four, maybe day five, who knows. But I bet she came out and goes, how was your trip? And Isaac says, I have a funny story for you, Mom. And <laughs> I wonder if Abraham was sleeping on the proverbial couch for a while. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> It would be curious if he had told her versus if he hadn't before they left for the trip. Right. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, this raises so many more questions. Correct. Right. And so (laughs) that's why, as we were, as we've talked about many times, there's so much context that is necessary in order to properly understand and thus begin to field questions or even just field moments of going, well, what could have really happened here? How could this have been the way it was? And um, one of the key features I found that's far more prevalent in Jewish study of Scripture than, say, just general evangelical is what I was taught. When I was 13 mm-hmm. years old, my dad gave me a Bible, a dictionary, and a concordance. And he quoted, I think it was D.L. Moody, who said, if I ever got stranded on a desert island and can only have three things, it would be a Bible, concordance, and a dictionary. Right? So it's like, okay. Um, but, um, when you, and, and the, the type of Bible study I was encouraged to do for many years in, in, in all sorts of settings, usually varied, but primarily focused on word study or verse study. Now we all heard the three C's context, 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 but context was almost sacrificed to simply get to the point of one verse. Yes. Now, an entire sermon could be preached on that one verse or half a verse. Right, exactly. And and usually you're going kind of, you're not even going off um, historical narrative out of scripture. You're going off of a modern thinking and a modern understanding. So you're basically disseminating that verse based on what you know, which can be incredibly yeah. limiting or incredibly a lot. But, um, the the practice of jewish study involves context to a degree that i i think would i know it would definitely put me to shame back in my college days and it might even put some of my old professors to shame because the amount of context involved in in studying scripture and it, it is a verbal verbal narrative this is designed to be read aloud especially in the original Hebrew, because then you get to hear all of those similarities, right? You get to hear, okay, this is this, this up, this word up here is now being found in this verse down here. And then you mm-hmm. start getting those, there's that chiasmic connection, right? The Atbash connection. And then you just, and then it goes from there. And then you've got, uh, the, as, as the Rabbi David Foreman puts it, that hyperlinking. Well, this, yeah. this word is here, but it's also look over here in this other book. Here's where it's used there. 
And so it it, it really, I, I like it because it's just so dynamic at once, but at the same time, it's so much more holistic. You can't yes. have this word without having everything else around it. Yes. Absolutely. Mm-mm-mm. Beard hair. So, <laughs> yeah, beard hair to Abraham. And so let's dig in. I want to, I want to, I want to, at the end of last episode, I alluded to what I wanted to do in this episode. So last episode, mm-hmm. we went through Genesis 22 and talked about the Atvash, the chiasm, the literary device and the structure and how to find it, stuff like mm-hmm. that. And I alluded at the end of the episode that there is a lot of, at the ex- exact same time, while all of that is happening in chapter 22, there is also a lot of similar phrasing and verbiage between that story in Genesis 22 and the narrative of Abraham sending out Hagar and Ishmael in chapter 21. Mm-hmm. And so I want to I want to kind of outline that today. We even brought in those last little bit of verses into our last discussion too, as some people, some of our listeners might remember. Um, I remember reading. Well, paraphrasing, I didn't actually read it, but paraphrasing the last uh, nine verses of the book and just really how all of this really ties together, right? Sorry, last nine chapters of what? I mean, last nine verses of chapter 21 and how I paraphrased those in our last one and just how everything just really syncs together, Mm -hmm. right? How it just complements. But we're going to go into more detail and I like that. So um, where where do you want to just start? Mr. Matt. Well, I want to I want to start by giving kind of an Abraham overview and sure. backstory leading into 21. We kind of alluded to it last episode, but True. so um, maybe this will be another conversation we do in this series, or maybe we do it at another time. But um, the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis are basically the preface. It's uh, explaining the very, very, very beginning of everything and Mm -hmm. God, and how this Abrahamic family comes about. And then in chapter 12, well, at the very end of chapter 11, we get introduced to Abraham and his family of origin. And Mm -hmm. the Jews, when studying scripture, we've talked before about how they, the Jews ask questions of the text that we never even think to ask. And one of the first ones that I encountered when discovering this was the question of why did God choose Abram? Right. to become abraham right and mm-hmm. i don't mm-hmm. recall if we talked about it on the podcast but we've brought it up um, a time or two okay. yeah, i remember bringing that up a time or two but it, you go ahead so the answer is buried in the brief genealogy at the end yep. of genesis 11 we're yep. not going to dig into it today but the mm-hmm. the short answer is essentially abraham married abram married a woman who was known to be barren and he right. married her anyway Right, And so and in, in a culture and in a time when your offspring was your legacy, it was your life, it was everything, it was it, even survival in a lot of respects. Right. And it was even somewhat of the concept of what they would have of eternal life by mm-hmm. having those kids carry on their legacy. Right. Yeah. So if he knowingly married a barren woman out of compassion, it God looked at him and said, that's the kind of guy I want to work with. Right. So I'm going to I'm going to brief paraphrase the story of Abraham that leads us up to chapter 21. So 
God, see Abram. Right? Buckle up, folks. Here we go. <laughs> I've been known in in several different sermons to go from Genesis to Revelation all on one theme, and uh, and it's been kind of a whirlwind. But we're not going to do that today. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, um. So God partners up with Abram and says he's in Ur of the Chaldeans, which later will become uh, Babylon. Mm-hmm. But he says, hey, Abram, go that way. I'll tell you when to stop. Right. And he takes off. And right. uh, we find out from the text that he leaves with his wife and his nephew named Lot. And kind of the can implication. Ask, can oh, I ask a ahead. quick question regarding that? Because I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are. There is some that have the thought that it it wasn't originally Abraham, that even his daddy originally left the town. And only went so far. But hmm. then he finally, that's when he finally went to Abraham and says, hey, now you do, well, you do what I'm telling you to do. And then that's when Abraham took off and did what God said to actually do. He actually followed through where his daddy fell short. Have you heard that commentary before? I've not. It actually okay. kind of flies in the face of the Midrash that I am familiar with. Okay. All right. Then, then Being, yeah, please go ahead. Go ahead. What uh, is the, it? the Midrash being that um and and i i know we've defined midrash before but if anybody's jumping in on this episode midrash is the jewish narrative form of providing commentary on the text right so some of it is kind of assumed to be historical some a lot of it is assumed to be metaphorical in order to draw something out of the text or send you back to the text more accurately send you back to it to study deeper and discover why that the sages and the rabbis came up with that bizarro story and what are they trying to teach me about what the text actually says right so, which is why midrash is can be considered as a teaching or absolutely quote unquote sermon right so there's a midrashic story that um abram was starting to feel the call of god to leave and and mm. go somewhere else and he was working as a as a younger man. He was working in his father's idol shop, right? Because dad actually made idols, according to yep. this. Yep. And so mm-hmm. one day, um, kind of as a last thing before leaving town, he takes an axe and destroys a whole bunch of the idols, and then puts puts the axe. I don't remember if it's in the hand of one of the idols or at the feet of one of the idols. And his dad comes in and says. What in the world have you done? You've just destroyed my business. What are you thinking? And Abram says, it's very interesting to me that you know that it was me that did it and not one of these idols. You know that these are blind, that they Mm -hmm. can't get up and move. You know that these are nothing but statues. You automatically assumed it was me and you didn't attribute this act to any of them. What are you doing with your life, basically? Mm -hmm. And, And then he gets up and takes off. So... I, I'm I'm not familiar with any story or or idea that that his dad had been sent out of Ur first, or or maybe had been sent from further east to Ur, and then Abraham picked it up. I don't know. I've not heard that before. I heard that. Do you know from, where I, you where you picked that yeah, up? Yeah, I was trying to remember. I I oh man, I listened. I, okay, just for the record, folks. I wasn't into podcasts until after Matt came in my life. <laughs> you that, are most welcome. 
Thank you so much. And I've listened to so many since then. It was on Spotify. It was an older rabbi. Um, he was out of Canada, I believe. And um, he was he was talking about in this episode about journey and and and, and it's and the good things about being on a journey and going for journeys and even moving for that matter. What's the good of moving? Um, sure. And uh, kind of obliterates <laughs> the evangelical approach of uh, what was it? John 11, I think. God knows the pl times and places you'll be. He was talking about nations in that context. He wasn't talking about people, individual people. Anyways, it was his rabbi. And I don't recall his name. I'd have to do some significant hunting to go back and see <laughs> find back. what the name was. But that, that's, that's where I heard it from. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and it's also important to note before we continue with Abraham's backstory, um, a lot of the Midrashic stories do overtly contradict one another because right. the purpose is not to communicate a factual event. The, the purpose is almost to communicate a fanciful retelling of it in right. order to make you scratch your chin and go, okay, why did he just tell me that story? What in the text is he trying to draw my attention to? Right. And the so key it, word there almost, being story. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So there's so the Midrash can absolutely contradict each other because it's not mm -hmm. about communicating literal time and places and events. So right. so it very well there could very well could be another Midrashic story about Abraham's father leaving. I'm I'm simply not familiar with it, but that's that's, no, that's nothing fine. new. There's a whole right. bunch in this world that we're not quite familiar <laughs> so with. Oh many. Right. But please so um so he's talking to Abraham. Abraham's getting prepared up, getting ready. Okay, I'm, this is what I'm getting from God. What yes. happens? Next? So he takes off with with Sarai mm -hmm. and his nephew Lot. And and you can tell by the context that the assumption is that Lot is going to be his adopted son, his inheritor. Right. Right. Uh-huh. Until God grows their stuff too much that they actually have to part company. Mm -hmm. And so Lot chooses the luscious farm land and, and pasture land around Sodom and Gomorrah and moves down there. Mm -hmm. Um, and Abram basically stayed where they were, if I remember correctly, or he went the opposite direction. And so he basically, he lost his inheritor. Right. And, um, I'm going to flip through my Bible to make sure I get the order of events correct. So that's kind of summarized in, uh, so in Ch Genesis 13, Lot separates from Abram. Um, and then some kings come up against Sodom and Gomorrah and kidnap a bunch of people, including Lot. So Abram rallies 300 men from his household, obviously not biological descendants, but servants and, and workers and stuff. And they mm -hmm. rally a small army and go rescue Lot and the others. And then we have the super cool, but very bizarre, wonderful conversation for another time, Melchizedek. Oh, yes. Oh, man. we should dig into that at some point. We really should. Yeah, that's uh, verses 17 through 24, of chapter 14. Just, yes. oh, man, especially when it, con especially when it, I'm just going to give a taste, especially when it contrasts with Hebrews and how even yes. that writer brings into more of a clarity of what the perspective was between the Melchizedek order and Aaron's order. Oh, Absolutely. 
Good stuff. Oh, yeah. Okay. And then in chapter 15, God and Abram have a conversation um, about which Abram, uh, so Lot has gone back to Sodom and Gomorrah after the rescue. Mm-hmm. And so God says, I'm going to multiply you and this is going to be awesome. And Abram mm-hmm. says, how are you going to do that? I don't have an inheritor. In fact, my my chief servant, Eliezer, is going to be my inheritor. I don't even have a kid. And God says, mm-hmm. look up at the stars. Your your children, your offspring are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. Then they cut a covenant. And then Sarah gets the wild harebrained scheme that seemed like a good idea to her at the time, I'm sure, to have Abram sleep with Hagar, their Egyptian right. slave. And the Most, amazing part about all of that leading up to that is anywhere from 11 years plus of all of this happening. It's just amazing the sheer amount of time that goes on in this. Absolutely. And it's so easy to read past that because mm-hmm. it's just the next chapter. It's just five paragraphs later. You right? get another story. It's very easy to not realize that decades are passing in between chapters. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But then so you get Hagar into that is, one with Hagar. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Right. And so um, Sarah gets the, the idea that, well, God told you that he's going to produce, give you offspring. So why don't you, Abram, sleep with Hagar? Um, and I, I think at that moment, God did a, a colossal face palm and said, no, that's not what I meant. And so <laughs> then they have another conversation in uh, chapter 17 saying, um, you missed because it wasn't about Hagar. Um, yeah, in at the very last verse of chapter 16, it says that he was 86 when Hagar yeah. gave birth to Ishmael. Right. So, but God says that wasn't the plan. No, that's not what I meant. You and Sarah are going to have a child. Yeah. And the one that you produced named Ishmael is not the child of promise. Mm-hmm. Which Mm-hmm. can essentially take us up to chapter 21. In 21, actually, no, there is a little bit of context that we just yeah. skipped over that, that is we, relevant. It goes into the, the covenant through Isaac, circumcision that was later performed. Mm-hmm. Um, and specifically, even before it's slightly before that, in the first part of chapter 17, that's God's covenant promises and about circumcision. So his, his bringing that in and what it's going to mean and what it's going to be. And then we right. get into 18, and we've got Abraham's encounter with the Lord. You've got 19, and 19's chock full. You've got the rescuing of Lot from Sodom. Uh, yep. Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed. And we've got the incident between Lot and his daughters. And then we hit mm-hmm. 20, and it goes into Abraham's deceit and Abimelech's sin, um, yes. which in and of itself is just, it's interesting because when you really look at the dynamic, the, 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 the reality, when you really end up looking at the reality of what's going on there and the responses of, say, these um, Egyptian pharaohs toward this man, Abimelech's response is really unique and interesting because he actually, God says, okay, now I actually want you to go and now I'm going to have Abraham bless you. And in our own modern minds, you go, wait a minute, what? Yes, absolutely. So that takes us up to chapter 21. Yes. So um, I'm just going to paraphrase verses 1 through 7. Um, 
where Sarah has um, she she go she blah, blah, blah. she gets <laughs> pregnant, she bears Isaac, and uh, Abraham circumcises Isaac on the eighth day, and mm -hmm. um, so she and then verses six and seven talk about um, how he got his name. We're going to pick up the narrative in chapter twenty one in verse eight. And as always, I'm using the Tree of Life translation. Mm -hmm. So in verse 8, it says, The child grew, Isaac grew and was weaned. Abraham made a big feast on the day Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw her, the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, making fun. Now there's different midrash and different um, Jewish tradition on what that looked like. Um, some, it, it was that he was... Um, I think I think I've heard several uh, midrashic stories that that Isaac that Ishmael, excuse me, was shooting arrows at Isaac as like yeah. a dodgeball kind of game, and yep. it was actually threatening his life. Right, and I think that that was even put in. There have been so many, but I think that was actually put into a movie de depiction of some kind. Was uh, it? Or oh no, it was rocks. They had Ishmael throwing rocks at him. And just mm. treating them like dirt. It's being mean. Well, just a little while later in this story, we find out that Ishmael becomes a bowman. So I think that's kind of they worked backwards with the midrash. Yeah, like he would had a bow yeah. and arrow as a as a youth. Um, I could see that being conceivable. Sure, sure. Yeah. So, but regardless of what it was, he was uh, the in the English it says making fun. That really doesn't do justice to what was going on. It was more mm -hmm. than just playful teasing or, or loving banter. So verse 20. So she said to Abraham, drive out the female slave and her son, for the son of this female slave will not be an heir with my son Isaac. Now the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's eyes on account of his son. Of course it is, because keep in mind, this is his firstborn child. This is, and, and Abraham is Mr. Hospitality. Yeah. He goes above and beyond for random strangers that come and visit him. Right. He goes out of his way to meet with his neighbors on surrounding mountaintops and, and commune with them under the treetops. Mm -hmm. The idea of him having to cast out someone of his own flesh and blood is, of, of course, that's going to be very, very difficult for him. Sure. Oh, absolutely. There is one Midrash that brings up the idea that the very word that that uh, the, the 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 I can't remember the actual Hebrew word, but it's a sport makes sport of, and that mm. that sport word actually identifies more specifically with committing or practicing idolatry, right? And so it um, mm. there's that midrash. Uh, what was that? Actually, I had that up just a little while ago. It was midrash. That Ishmael um, committing idolatry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here it is. The the word sport refers only to practicing idolatry and it refers back to exodus 32 6 and then it comes back to 21 and so lest my son learn from his behavior is the emphasis that it's being put on midrash penchuma interesting okay yeah excellent thanks for bringing that in well i think it ties in with what you just said because especially when it comes to those three visitors right Mm -hmm. Because here's Abraham's house, who's when when you have one the, the head of a household following a god or gods, then the entire household 
will honor that God or those gods, right? Right. And so that's why I thought that that midrash kind of flows into that just a little bit. You can almost perceive that in just in, in a way because here's Ishmael behaving opposite to what right. Abraham would have his son do, even to his own other children, right? Right. So, Absolutely. And, 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 then, I, and I think it's also important to point out that hospitality of Abraham wasn't necessarily even specific to Abraham um, because in true. the desert wilderness, like they have there, the hospitality. Um, oh, it, it is, it is probably, I would say one of the top five tiers of, if not maybe number one of living in that area, because if you don't present hospitality to someone, then you are being, in some cases, it's actually believed that you're putting their life in your hands and you could be the cause of their death right yep Yikes. <laughs> you could be signing their death sentence if you don't help take care of them exactly exactly yeah. but well well said well brought up um you can almost extrapolate this kind of a tangent but where would ishmael have learned about idolatry or false gods if not from his own mom an egyptian mm-hmm so I wonder mm-hmm. if, there, if that plays into it. And we know previously to this that when Hagar, we kind of skipped over it in the backstory, but when Hagar finds out that she's first pregnant um, right. and she and she successfully bears Ishmael, she starts lording it over Sarah. And she even does, before well, that, just during the pregnancy. Well, and she even left. Remember that? Yes. She even left. And the angel, um, the Malek, um, I don't but you know the the messenger Molech, um, he 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 actually tells her it's one of the five or six times in the Bible where a person is given their name by God before they're even born. Yeah, Ishmael was one of them. King Josiah was another, and Jesus and John the Baptist. But so it's one of the few times, and so God is still putting, and that that, that would even show that God isn't simply overlooking Ishmael. There right. is something that's going to carry on into Ishmael. So we might and we might not throw out the baby with the water, you know. Right. And that previous yeah. occurrence is highly significant in what we're about to read because she right. has been sent out into the wilderness before. She mm-hmm. had interacted with Abraham's God. She knew who mm-hmm. Yahweh was. Right. And she had listened and obeyed him by going back to Abraham's household. I, I Correction, she wasn't kicked out. She ran away that first She time. ran away. Yeah, yeah, she ran okay. away. Yeah. But in it what we're about to read, yep. it's important to note that she knows who Yahweh is. She's had an interaction with uh, uh, with Yahweh himself or with a messenger of Yahweh, depending on how you want to look at that. But she's not unfamiliar with Abraham's God. And that's going to be important in this in this next section. Yeah, especially because what God says to her is that your son is going to be the father of 12 nations. Right. 12 nations, not even just 12 sons, which became the the family of one nation. His sons are going to be 12 separate nations. Right. Absolutely. Okay, so let's pick up in uh, verse 12. Okay. But God said to Abraham, do not be displeased about the boy or your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, listen to her voice. For the through Isaac shall your seed be called. Yet I will also make the son of the slave woman into a nation because he is your seed. So starting in the next verse, 
the, the reason we're going through this is because last episode we showed a bunch of chapter 22 and the, right. the chiasm and stuff like that. At the exact same time, while there's a massive chiasm going on in chapter 22, there is similar language being used between 21 and 22 in order to compare and contrast the stories. And mm -hmm. that starts in this next paragraph or in this next verse. So we're not going to reread uh, chapter 22. So if you missed last episode, pause and go listen to that or just pause and read through chapter 22 because we're going to be bouncing back and forth and showing the similarities in the language. Um, and but I'm going to... It's all right with you. I'll just point out that. So the first phrase of verse three is of 22 got Abraham, Abraham got up early in the morning. Yes. Chapter 22, That's verse three. three. So yep. Abraham got up early in the morning. Yep. So we're going to resume our story in 21 mm -hmm. verse 14 with the exact same phrase. So Abraham got up early in the morning. Now right. he can, he's either a perpetually early riser and Moses just decided to be very redundant and point that out. Maybe so that later uh, in the wisdom literature, it can be written that the early bird gets the worm or something like that. Right. A, a, well, a comment against slothfulness, but. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, you know, they say that when you, when you don't have electricity, you're going to go to sleep when the sun goes down and you're going to get up when the sun comes up. But um, I think it's interesting to point out, though, and this is what I was going to bring up earlier, and, and Matt caught me on this one, too, um, was that um, this is an idiom. And it's even seen even in Joshua uh, and in other parts of the Torah and even into the rest of Scripture. And it's an idiom of um, it, it's, it's placing a priority on something that must be done and doing it in an expedient manner. It's going to happen now. Right. It's We're gonna not happen now. Exactly. We're going to get up and do it. And what an interesting way of, of looking at what when God tells you to do something. <laughs> Hello. You see yeah. these people going, all right, this he has spoken. This is what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to listen to him and I'm going to see this stuff done quick. Yes. Listen and, and obey. Yes. I'm going to mm -hmm. Shema. I am listening and responding. Correct. Yeah, correct. And it's and it's really and it's that it's that 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 activity of language that we kind of some, sometimes just simply go over going, OK, she just got up in the morning. Oh, no, right. no, no. there's so much more going on here. And it's, it's like, oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. OK, so he got up early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar, putting them on her shoulder mm -hmm. and the child and sent her away. Now, I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to pause mid-verse, putting them on her shoulder. So if we jump over to chapter 22, I'm going to read verse 6 in the Abraham and Isaac story. Then Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and put it on Isaac, his son. Right. So in the one, he puts, uh, puts an object on Hagar, on her shoulder, and the child. And then in parallel passage, we have that he puts the wood for the burnt offering on his son. Right. So that's our second parallel of, of Moses as he's penning this is drawing similarities between the two. And I could see oh. amazing study being done right there just on burden. Oh, absolutely. Oh, man. Oh, man. I mean, you remember 
remember Jesus saying, my, 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 my burden is easy. My, my yoke is easy. My, my yoke burden is, easy. is light. Yeah. Right. And he's saying that to Pharisees who have made heavy yokes and heavy burdens. Absolutely. We should do that at study at some point. I think just in this episode, we've said that like five times. Oh, we should do a study on that. Oh, we should we should do that at some point. Really? <laughs> we'll have to go back and listen to our own podcast and take notes on. Okay, which ones did we say we were gonna do? <laughs> exactly. Okay. So the last sentence of of chapter twenty one, verse fourteen. She went and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. Verse 15, when the water from the skin was finished, she abandoned the child under one of the bushes. Now, this one's going to seem like a little bit of a stretch in English. I, I completely acknowledge that. But if in Hebrew, if you, you follow the motif of, of wood, of trees, of lumber, of bushes, of everything wooden, they are genuinely all connected. It doesn't seem like that in English. It doesn't seem like that as Westerners. But throughout scripture, any tree, regardless of what kind, there's a similar motif. The different trees mean different things. If, if you right. dig into biblical botany and Ray Vanderland is, is kind of a fun one to follow on some of those things. But uh, the trees mean different things. But anything made out of wood or lumber is tied into everything else made of wood mm -hmm. if, uh, thematically so here in verse 15 we have uh hagar abandoning her her child who keep in mind he's 13 years old there's midrash that he likely had a fever at the time which is explains why it was extra hard for abraham to send him out not only is he flesh and blood but he's also ill and it also explains why hagar abandoned a teenager under a bush it's right. not like she's she's putting a an eight month old under a bush. No, and I, I, we're not going to do it here. But you might want to ask yourself, why Beersheba? What, what what's significant about mm. this physical geographical location? Now, Cindy Parker, who is a phenomenal PhD, and she teaches a class on listening to the land of Israel, actually has all of her stuff on biblicaltraining.org um uh and youtube and um israel bible center she is she's offered some amazing insight in some of these more geographical locations and their significance to the story and what's going on yes the location is always highly highly significant both in torah and in the gospels and throughout right. absolutely the names of the places and the location and what it means and the history thereof are always significant, but we're going to kind mm -hmm. of just cruise past that for today's conversation. Exactly. <laughs> but I'm glad you brought that up. Thanks for 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 giving her a shout out and, and offering oh, that resource to folks. Absolutely. Okay, so she puts him under one of the bushes, mm -hmm. and then in chapter 22. Oh, oh! I just had something jump out at me. What's that? Go for it. Okay, so Isaac's put on top of something. Ishmael's put under something. Yes. Okay, so he's put on top of what is considered to be a um, an altar that most likely uh -huh. Abraham had already built. And so yes. and in verse in chapter 22 verse 9, we talked about it last last podcast, uh last episode about the redundancy of the phrase he laid out the wood, Abraham laid out the wood, bound right. up Isaac his son, laid him on the altar 
on top of the wood. On top, so yeah. So now we got the part language. of the chiasm, mm -hmm. but it's also yeah. part referencing back to chapter twenty-one of she puts her son under, under. expecting him to die. Mm -hmm. Abraham puts his son on top of expecting him expecting to die. Him die. Yeah, and then you've got altar and bush and. Oh, this is just where scripture just can send anyone down any rabbit trail. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. Both were parents laying out their only son, expecting them to die in, in, a, in proximity to whether above or below would. Right. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, and oh man, that even oh, heralds back to the creation story. Oh, good grief. Okay. Yeah. Let's keep going or else we're. <laughs> I'm gonna get distracted here. Okay, we'll keep it, keep you focused, Josiah. Okay. Keep focused. Chapter twenty-one, verse sixteen. Then she went and sat herself down opposite, about a bowshot away. We talked about the rule of first use or the law of first mention in scripture. Mm -hmm. This is the first mm -hmm. bowshot, which is an interesting measure of distance. Um, kind of a fun motif to study, um, in and of itself. Right. So Take it to uh, Jonathan and David. Exactly. Right? So. so she went about a bow shot away for she had said, I can't bear to see the child dying. So she sat down opposite and lifted up her voice and wept. Then God heard the boy's voice. I've always thought that was interesting. It doesn't say mm. he heard her voice. Mm -hmm. Not that it's God's death, but it, the specific one, the one of note was God heard the boy's voice. Mm -hmm. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? So why add the detail called to Hagar from heaven? So we have God or an, 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 the angel of God, excuse me, calling to someone by name specifically from heaven. Well, if we jump to chapter 22, and look at verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called to him, Abraham, from heaven and said, right. Abraham, Abraham, he's calling him by name from heaven. Just more verbal hyperlinks connecting these two stories together. Um, continuing in verse seven, and he said to her, what oh, troubles you? Hey, oh, go ahead. Go can, ahead. Can I say how just this is? People say, I've heard people say, and they've told me this, God is so inconsistent. Oh, no. This <laughs> even proves that. even more. I heard more. that just today. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. It's like, here's oh, evidence so of him being consistent. In the Bible. Oh, my goodness, oh. yes. There is and, no way this isn't a divine book. Oh, man. Oh, man. And it's just, it's just even more of just the emphasis of just who God is and what he's doing. Just because... Abraham and Sarah tried to do things their own way through their own will. See that? Oh man, there's another rabbit trail. I think there's another two Harry, or three rabbit trail. Harry, don't look at the light. I can't help it. It's so beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now that's over with. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And if anyone hasn't seen a bug's life, that's what that's a reference to. <laughs> Okay, so back in Genesis. <laughs> um, okay, <laughs> Josiah, pull yourself together. <laughs> I'm trying, I'm trying. I 
Okay, I'm back. Are you though? Uh, okay, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> we shouldn't record this late at night. We get punchy. <laughs> and what did okay. your wife always say? No, we're not talking about that right now. I am not quoting any comedians at the moment, <laughs> but if we keep this going too long, I might start. <laughs> okay, twenty-one, uh, chapter twenty-one, uh, halfway through verse seventeen. The angel of the mm-hmm. Lord. He said to her, "What troubles you, Hagar? Do not be afraid, because God has heard the boy's voice where he is. Get up, lift the boy up, and hold on to him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation." Now, that promise to her obviously parallels the promises that Abraham has gotten regarding right. Isaac. Absolutely. But then in the next verse, in, in verse 19, we see another literary or, or um, wording parallel to chapter 22. In mm-hmm. 21 9, verse 19, it says, Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So, in 22, near the end of the account, Um, In verse 13, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and behold, there was a ram just caught in the thick bushes by his horns. So both parents of these two respective situations lift up their eyes or or look up and see the mode of salvation, see the thing that is going to save their sons. These stories are so paralleled on purpose, absolutely on purpose. And then... If anyone has ever wondered why, um, oh, so let me let me read verse twenty and twenty one of of chapter twenty one. God was with the boy, speaking of Ishmael, uh, and he grew. He dwelled in the wilderness and became an archer. He dwelled in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. So, if right. anybody has ever wondered why, after that story, but before the binding of Isaac, we get this covenant cut between Abimelech and Abraham, that the placement of that is on purpose as well. So we have the whole Hagar and Ishmael account and God rescuing Ishmael, hearing Ishmael's cry and rescuing him through his parent looking up and seeing the mode of salvation, in in their case, a well of water. Right. And then immediately after that, there's a covenant that is brokered. It's granted. It's it's a covenant between completely different parties. Hagar mm-hmm. falls out of the story at this point, um, for all practical purposes. She falls out of the story. But but immediately after this, someone cuts a covenant. In chapter twenty-two, as soon as the parent Abraham lifts up his eyes and sees the mode of salvation, which in his case is a ram, which is going to mm-hmm. substitute for his son. Mm-hmm. Um, a massive covenant is cut starting in verse chapter 22 verse 15 the angel of the lord called to abraham a second time from heaven and said by myself i swear it is a declaration of the lord because you have done this thing and you did not withhold your son your only son i will richly bless you and bountifully multiply your seed like the stars of heaven like the sand of the on the seashore hearkening back to the two different conversations they had had previously about how God would multiply his offspring through Isaac and your seed will possess the gates of their enemies. Your seed uh, in your seed, all nations of the earth will be blessed because you obeyed my voice. 
So both stories of the parent expecting their son to die and then miraculously getting uh, getting their children back, both mm -hmm. stories end or are followed by a covenant being cut. Right. Right. And so it's not so much of a grammatical chiasm as it much as a topical or thematic type of chiasm. These yes. things are working together to continue to illustrate, as we said before, consistency of God being who he is, doing what he does, and how he has relationships with people in very similar manners. He is a God yeah. of covenantal relationship. And it's amazing to see, not just in these two stories, but even as it continues to unfold, what a covenantal relationship becomes, especially when God puts the consequences of breaking such a covenant on himself. Yes. Oh, man. Yeah. It's such, it's such and, an amazing thing. Yeah. And so the, the question can very easily be asked, why is Moses comparing these two stories with one another? What is the oh, yeah. moral or the, yes. the purpose of of going to the the labor of love of doing all this? Yeah. Well, it's actually to give us the same theme or the same moral as mm -hmm. the chiasm of twenty two itself. Yeah, we talked about the previous episode of of Abraham choosing to live in the tension between being all right. in with God and being all in with his son, and choosing to live in the uncomfortable middle ground that that creates for him. And we talked and about how. Don't forget Sarah. <laughs> don't forget Sarah in there. Sarah. I mean, the tension right. with her. Oh boy. Ooh. Absolutely. <laughs> and and we talked about how, in order to do that, he had to be selfless. Yeah. He, he can't oh, yeah. focus on his needs and his desires and his wants. Mm -hmm. He has mm -hmm. to focus on what God has said and what His Son is saying. And thus, and we, we have the it. dynamic of what it is to do God's will as opposed to our own will. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. And so mm. then in tonight's study or, or in today's episode podcast, we see the basically the what not to do. Right. Don't be Hagar. Because if, if we go back and reread um, in verse 16, for she had said, I can't bear to see the child dying. And in mm -hmm. that way, it, I mean, no disrespect to any parent who has lost a child. Hagar just made it about her, not about her son dying. Right. And so what did she do? Her actual action was she looked the other way. She and it says that twice. On her, on, it she, does. It does. She abandoned him under a bush, walked away, for she had said, I can't bear to see him die. And so she walked away and looked away. Yep. She is 100% focused on self mm -hmm. and what she can and can't handle. What God right. will and won't do for her. It's all yeah. about her in this moment. It's not even about Ishmael. And I think, mm -mm. personally, I think that's why the angel of the Lord, why it twice says in this brief narrative, it was the boy's cry that got God's attention, not hers. Right. right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think that definitely illustrates that even more. I think that, yeah, very. Oh, yes, absolutely. Oh, man. And it's amazing just really? how more and more you see other scripture pop into this. But at the same time, it does hold you there because yeah. you're, you're looking at the dynamic of how people tend to operate. Right. Mm -hmm. 
someone's in need, someone's ignoring that need, but yet you always yeah. see the consistency of God's personality. God's, they call them God's attributes. They call them his characteristics, being what they are and continuing to identify with the person in need. Yes. And, and I mean, Jesus said in his famous sheep and goats sermon mm. about what those needs are. You came to me when I was in prison. You brought me food when I was sick. You gave me clothes when I was I was naked and cold. And so you're looking at these very basic primary needs. And I think it's absolutely sad a lot of the times where even in my own past experience in Christian ministry and Christian leadership, that so much of that was overlooked. Now, I would even say that it was even too, it wasn't even just overlooked by just the church leaders, usually what the scriptures might call elders, but even by the deacons, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But that's what we're being. That's what Keith Green and his song uh, uh, "Asleep in the Light" is, is trying to emphasize. You guys are so comfortable with what you think you know, you're failing to see the person coming to your door needing help. And here's just right. this little baby. And this shows the the focus of God. The little the noise of a child under a bush still gets his yes. attention. Yes. Mm. Yeah. And in in that Hallelujah. way we've we've become we've completely become pharisees yeah we we know so much and yet we're not doing it or living it or we can go to the the many 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 old testament prophets that spoke against the the leadership of israel right um and and how through idolatry and leading the nation astray spiritually Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Hand in, in hand with that is neglect of the alien, orphan, and widow. Not just, and right. then it started as neglect, and then it mm-hmm. went to all out um, abuse of and yeah. robbing from the widows and, oh. and using the orphans for their advantage. Oh, I, that actually reminds me. I was, I was reading um, sort of Midrash on uh, Sodom. And one of the reasons why God is destroying them, and it's because of the direct antithesis to the point where they, so we already established that hospitality was one of, if not the primary practices of people in that area. If you did not do it, you were even shunned by society, right? Right. Because of the threat you caused of somebody's life being put in peril. Well, the, the Midrash, the teaching actually went into this. It was saying how, Sodom had gotten to the point of greed. No longer were they willing to give out what someone needed. They wanted more, so they went and took it. Yes. It wasn't, and, and the emphasis was, 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 I know that a lot of, I've, I've heard a lot of commentary in, in certain circles that tends to overemphasize the idea that Sodom was destroyed because of its um, uh, sexual, sexual immorality. immorality. But... There's more to more to what happened with Sodom and Gomorrah than just simple sexual immorality. This yes. is greed. This is pride. This is selfishness at its finest. Yeah, at its finest, to the point where they were even disregarding one of the canon laws of that part of the world, and that was elders and mm-hmm. respect for elders. There was, I remember, part of the midrash was creating that story and saying, um, "It, uh, they were." They were beating men, old, old, their elders, and taking their money. Mm-hmm. 
And it's like, that, that just really brings you into going, this isn't just a one-off thing. And it's just not for one reason. There's a whole right. lot more going on here than meets the eye. Now, yeah. while you're and we not can trace. Oh, sorry, go ahead. We can trace? We, we can trace the story even back and the parallels between Sodom and Gomorrah and um, the Tower of Babel. Right. And trying to make a name for themselves and being greedy and stuff. The, I want to do a quick shout out to the Bible Project. Just finished mm. on their podcast, not on their on their YouTube videos. If anybody's familiar with the Bible Project, the YouTube videos are good, uh, but more simple uh, explanation. And then the podcast dives deep and beautifully connecting things. So the pod, the Bible Project podcast just finished a terrific city. Uh, series, excuse me, following the <laughs> motif of cities in scripture mm. Mm. and how it went mm. from a garden. And the first city was the city Cain built for himself out of self-protection and not trusting God's protection by the mark on him. And then going from there, all the way to chasing the, the main cities through scripture. Beautiful series. Please go check wow. it out. Bible Project podcast. I'll have to because I haven't heard that one yet. Wow. Oh, it's terrific. Ooh, ooh, I kind of like that. That's fascinating. What I was going to say a minute ago was is that this, is that we're going back into this Jewish practice. We're not trying to install anything into these stories. Right. You could even say, yeah, maybe you're reading between the lines a little bit. But really, the process of this is, is to get you thinking. What's yes. going on here? Why is it happening? Where is it going? Right. Yes. And so I remember so many times reading these very same passages growing up and then just kind of, you know, casually going through it. You, you've called it the lullaby effect before. I like that. It's, it's a good way of saying this. I call it looking through it through kind of rose colored glasses um, because I was okay. raised in an idea of thinking you're never going to fully understand this, but it's God's word and you're getting to read it. Wow. It's like, OK, yeah, I get that part and I am excited to read it. But I'm excited yeah. to read it without those glasses because now I get to actually see the text. I get to see it and interact with it. And that's what's going on here. That's what we established at the beginning was that th this, this is a significant episode, I think, for what it means to read Scripture aloud and to study with a partner. Yeah. This is what can happen because you get this, you get this dialogue going and you've – and folks, you've seen me going off on tangents. You've seen Matt going, oh, okay, I connect this there. And it can take you into even more of a broader depth and a broader breadth of Scripture, but more than just Scripture, God, and how he's interrelating with us, how we're interrelating with each other and him. Yes. And it just but, and it provides such amazing context for our own lives, right? Yeah. Oh, man. Absolutely. Oh, I got to tell you a funny story. Um, Oh, please. So I'm I'm leading a Bible study through the book of Revelation. And mm -hmm. uh, a couple of weeks ago, we, we had finished the study. And I said, okay, keep for, for next week, do your own independent study on this swath of verses, whatever was next. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the gals in the Bible study said, okay, what rabbit trails should we take and which ones should we abandon? I said, why would you abandon any of them? She said, because I have to go to work at some point. <laughs> because there's oh, so I much. I like that. I like right? that question. Oh, I like that question. Yeah. 
so she was asking which ones because of revelation and we talked about this before on on the podcast that john makes close to 600 direct quotations or or heavy-handed allusions to old testament right close to right. 600 yep. and there's only 22 yep. chapters in the book mm-hmm. and so you can chase down every single one of them and and using the the rule of first use or playing mm-hmm. the game of where have i seen this before in scripture well it's the revelation right. you've seen you have the entire right. rest of scripture to work with it's not so like in genesis 22 we can link it right. back yeah right it's not like we're just going from sodom and gomorrah back to babel back to the the city that came built you got right. the whole book to contend with like, <laughs> but no it's just pressure. so much fun no pressure right <laughs> that the folks that that are in that bible study with me are are picking up on the fact that um studying the bible with depth and not just mm-hmm. not read it at face value that's a great place to start right but do not right. think that you're done with your bible study just reading it at face value or else you'll get um you'll get a whole bunch of wonky ideas in theology Right, so. which is why we've established in previous episodes, we've talked about how this is a Jewish book. And so if we're going to yeah. understand it, we want to understand it from a Jewish perspective, right? Yes. And so while that can create more work, I would also say it creates greater responsibility on our part. How are yeah. we going to handle Scripture? It's in our hands. Sure, we could read it any way we want. We can apply it any way we want. We can have our own starting point. I know a person who said, Oh, Bible doesn't start at Genesis 1. I don't know what you're getting that from. It starts at Matthew 2 because they omitted the first the first chapter. And it was actually it's kind of funny story with that. It not to not I'm going to cut it short. I'm not make a long story short sort of thing was that it was actually a translation process where this guy had gone to this village and he just did Matthew. But instead of doing chapter 1, he just did starting Matthew two and went to the end, and Got he it. had this. He kind of had this side thought in his head of going, "What are? How are they going to react to this? Because they're going to probably think this is where the Bible starts at Matthew two. But as he got to know the tribe better, he realized they put a great value on genealogy, mm. and when he realized that, because no one in the entire tribe came to the Lord, but when he put in chapter one. Boom, the entire village converted. Wow. So that's super cool. It is, isn't it? But I mean, that's that's what we're that's what I want to point out though, is that what we're doing with scripture has its effects both on ourselves and on others. Now he was thinking, you know what, I'll, I'll just make this easy for them because right. these are names that they probably don't know, don't know. But right, they the don't names, have the context of the entire Old Testament, so there's just right. going to be a list of names for them. Exactly, but the name, regardless of whether the names had that, the fact that these people value genealogy is what made it so important to them, right? But then we've got these, I, I was mentioning this earlier, and you said, keep it for the podcast. Um, now, we're talking about Abraham, and in mm-hmm. in a lot of circles, it's, it's almost... Uh, zealously <laughs> believed that he only had two kids mm. Isaac I mean Ishmael and Isaac 
And, right. and even some will, will even begrudgingly say, no, but we really want to focus on Isaac. No, you want to have Isaac in that tension with Ishmael because it creates even more significance of what's going on there, right? But after Sarah died, Abraham got married again. And he married a woman named Keturah. Yeah. And not only did he have children with Keturah, he even had, had children with another concubine. Mm -hmm. And, he and had, a whole bunch of them. Oh, yeah. And, and you look at some of those names like you were doing earlier. Midian. I wonder yeah. where we get the name Midian from. It was from right. Isaac's other kid. How many kids uh, was Abraham's it? Abraham's other kid. Abraham. What did I say? Isaac. Sorry. Isaac. Abraham's other kids. How many? How many was that? How many did he have? Was it seven? I don't recall. There was there was quite a few. Yeah, it was a gaggle. It wasn't quite a dozen sort of approach, but it was definitely a, a good <laughs> handful. <laughs> a gaggle. A herd of children. Here it is. Eight sons. Abraham eight additional? Eight, eight. He had um, an all. An all. So he in had okay, Ishmael, so Isaac, more. and then he had six more sons. Wow. Six more sons. And that's that's covered. So I was teaching a class one time, and um, when I brought this up, a woman looked at me quite horrifically and says, you're, you're being heretical at this point. I said, hold on. Before you judge me. Let's go to Genesis chapter 25. And she's reading Genesis chapter 20 and the look over her face. It wasn't anger. It was surprise, mm -hmm. sadness, and to some modicum fear. Because it kind of, I, I had this moment just watching her going, something's clicking right now. She's mm. got this idea of this is what the narrative is. This is who God is. This is who Abraham is. And now that entire world is being blown open. Oh, gotcha. Completely blown open because she never would have thought that Abraham had other women, uh, uh, other wives, excuse me, and had other children when he did. Now, did Abraham become a great father, as the name means, um, from just Isaac and Ishmael? Sure, he did. Mm -hmm. But the many more. God used the phrase, um, as many as sands on a seashore and stars in the sky. The amount of people that have been produced from Abraham. You get this guy um, that fell off the Mayflower and during a storm, and they managed to get him back in the boat. And because he was saved, two million people are alive today because of that one man. I'm actually a direct descendant from him. I'm no alive. Way. Because they, yeah, I'm, I'm alive because they managed to bring that guy back in the boat. How many people, how many people in this world can say they're alive because Abraham had Midian or it, it what was it? It's Ishtok. I mean, how many yeah. more? It's just extraordinary. And just as a quick run through, um, Zimron, Jackson, Medin, Midian, Ishbak, and Shuan. I mean, Shua, excuse me, Shua. How many more? Mm, I wonder, just doing some basic math on that, I wonder what it would be. I know my wife knows that that formula, but um, that equation to being able to, to do, you know, through certain generations. But it's just, there's so much more going on here. And it creates those rabbit trails. But whether you're starting in Revelation and you're looking back on so much, there it creates comes a rabbit hole 
more rabbit holes. I mean, it's just, it goes deep. This isn't an Alice in Wonderland sort of thing, but it, I will say that I will oddly be geeky with this. Um, Carol was a, he was a member of the um, Anglican church in England. And his best friend, one of his very good friends, if not his best friend, was a pastor, Scottish pastor by the name of George MacDonald, who happened to be at his house one day. And Carol said, oh, yeah, that's because George saw this manuscript and picked it up. And Carol said, oh, yeah, that's just something I wrote. George reads it and he says, Carol, this needs to be published. He goes, no, it doesn't. It needs to be published. George MacDonald was a Scottish pastor who became the greatest influence on two of our more prominent um, authors, thinkers of the 20th, 20th century and even into the 21st, C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien. That's it's awesome. amazing what God will do with story. I was recently on another podcast and I was asked, what is story? Well, excuse me. I brought up the question, what is story? And the, the 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 element of this question is almost esoteric, almost philosophical in nature. But what does it do for the person, the average day person, the one, the down to earth individual? What does it do for them? It does the same thing for the doer as it does the thinker. It gives meaning. Yes. And if there's one thing that meaning does, it creates the power of existence. I get to be here. I get to interact with this. And as a result, we get this idea of who we are. And to think, I, I would, I would, I've always enjoyed sitting down and talking with older people. To sit down with Abraham and ask him that simple little question, so who are you? Oh, man. Wouldn't that be a conversation? I remember. Yeah. Won't that be a conversation? Oh, I agreed. Agreed. I remember so many conversations with world war ii veterans and mm -hmm. i had so many of them say i'm more than the sum of my experience in world war ii yes that was part of their lives and it was a significant part of their lives when they came back they had other lives after isaac after sarah excuse me abraham had more life which is crazy to think especially because he was 130 <laughs> when she died Right, hundred oh, something when she word. died. Oh my word! Just wow. Mm. This has been a great topic. I'm glad we 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 stuck with this, even though we've talked about maybe just moving on to beard and beard care. <laughs> right, that's true. <laughs> so no, I would imagine. Been, so to bring that full circle, I would say I'm gonna guess. Yeah, I'm gonna guess that Abraham used beeswax for sure, and I would imagine. Uh -huh. Based on some stuff I've read of ancient beard care, I've actually done some reading on this, that um, he probably had some frankincense in there, maybe a little bit of myrrh, um, and there were some other things. Now, it's actually, it was very common for certain people of certain social statuses to actually put flecks of gold in their beard. Wow. And here I am complaining about the wave in mine, and and I shave it off because I don't want to straighten it. They're putting gold in theirs. Um, you know, you, you, when I was seeing your beard longer, it reminded me there was this old cartoon, um, Adventures. 
Adventures in the Bible. And it was three kids that go through an archaeological dig through a portal back into Bible time. And yes. do you remember that? Yes. Do you remember the Daniel episode? My son Danny and I just watched that a couple weeks ago. Your beard, I could tell you. I mean, it almost it had had a really good Babylonian look to it. Not to say you're Babylonian, anyway, <laughs> but I mean, it had Whoa. that cramp. It had the cramp, and it, it had that whole it, the form. Oh, it looked very very good looking beard. I must say, very good looking beard. <laughs> we all miss it. Oh. Can I speak for whatever audience member will be listening to the YouTube channel? I know you miss it. It looked so good. <laughs> If Babylon got anything right, it was the beards. <laughs> oh my goodness! But uh, well, this and has been a ball. That, I think we better wrap it up for the. I night. couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. So, folks, we want to thank you for joining in with us today. Hopefully, you laughed with us, you thought with us, and you talked with us, and we want you to talk with us about this. Please do mail yeah. mail in any sort of questions, comments anything to bearded bible brothers at gmail.com and we'll look forward to seeing you next time take care bye